and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. As always, I'm your host Mitch Michaels and I'm delighted to have you with me on the sports podcast where we discuss all the relevant topics in the world of sports through a variety of perspectives. Today's episode is a special interview with Chris Budden and the ESPN College Football Sideline Reporter and also a Tennis Channel Court Report talent. She does some hosting there for the Tennis Channel. We're going to talk about her journey in the sports industry, one of the nicer people that I've met in the industry, very gracious with her time, spent an hour discussing everything from growing up in Dallas to studying at Mizzou to stop in Charleston, Virginia, Knoxville, Tennessee to cover the University of Tennessee, and then working for the Padres as well before ultimately landing in Los Angeles where her husband is an assistant coach for the Pepperdine tennis team. We'll talk about that story. We'll talk about getting into sideline reporting and your thoughts on tennis and the great Roger Federer. I found another Federer fan. You'll have to bear with me. It's Chris Button on the Money Mitch Effect. Here's that interview now. Let's do it. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect. Really glad to have this guest on the show, Chris Budden, Court Report Town at Tennis Channel, sideline reporter for ESPN College Football. Chris, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, glad to be here. You know, it's been a slow tennis day, so we have time to do this <laughs> in the luxurious Tennis Channel studios. Um, it's been an interesting weekend. But I kind of want to talk about your backstory before we get into everything else. And a lot of times when I have guests on this show, I'll ask them what got them into sports. But or when that passion was uh, derived from. But right away, it seemed like in your story, you were a sports fan, your whole family, from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of everything that my family revolves around. People are always like, were you an athlete? Was anyone in your family an athlete? And not really, we were just a fan of sports. Um, when we moved to Dallas when I was 12, we spent our first four Thanksgivings going to the Cowboys game. Oh, wow. Um, even now, so like holidays... Like dinner is served around whatever bowl game we're going yeah. to be watching. That's just I married a tennis player um, and now a tennis coach. So that's kind of always been in my family. And then for me, I knew I wanted to do something in news, but be a reporter, an anchor. And I went to Mizzou for that. And as I kind of went through the program, I realized that I did not want to be standing outside of a burning house <laughs> talking about good thing, sad not things every do, day. Yeah. And I thought, well, I love sports. Mizzou had a program for you to kind of do your capstone and, and work in the sports department. And I thought, well, you know, this is my hobby anyways, so why not make my job my hobby? Yeah, uh, and, I went, and I'm very familiar with Mizzou. Yeah, yeah. I'm, an hour I went to St. Louis U, so I'm okay. right there. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's a great school to go to. But kind of getting back to your like childhood, you were born in Atlanta, mm-hmm. is that right? Moved to Dallas at a young age. But your first sports memories were watching Georgia football with your dad. Yeah, and then even before that, I can remember my dad traveled a lot. Um, and when he would be <laughs> home on the weekends, he played a lot of golf. And we he had these Bobby Jones instructional videos, and he would <laughs> go into the basement and practice playing golf. So I remember when I was like six years old, I'd stand behind my dad and you know, practice the Bobby Jones putting <laughs> motion. And so that was kind of my, our father-daughter time. And a lot of it, I think, is because he traveled so much that on the weekends he watched sports and that was kind of our bonding time together. Right. And I did I did some research, so it's not me. just, <laughs> just stalking, crazy, bringing yeah. up, yeah, uh, bringing up some notes. But the one part of your history I wanted to ask about was 
shadowing your godfather yeah. and at a Dallas anchor job. What age was that? I mean, you're you're getting into your Dallas career. You probably thought, okay, it's like time to look into being into sports work. Can I study that? When did that come to fruition? So that's when I that's when I knew I wanted to do something TV. And my godfather was the main news anchor at the ABC station in Dallas, and so I would go and just shadow him throughout his day. And I. This was like back in the heyday of news anchors, like what you think of as kind of anchorman. And I mean, in Texas, yes, too, I'm and assuming. this was him. Yeah. So, I mean, he had his makeup done, and he got new ties every day, and got like 12 weeks of vacation time. I was like, this is such a great job. Um, God, he makes a lot of money, yeah. and he has a country club membership. And then you go to Mizzou, and they said, by the way, your first job, you'll make 17 grand. Which was true. That's exactly how much I made my first job. So the the dream of what my godfather was quickly um, yeah. kind of sunk into reality. But that's where just watching him and it was funny. Their piece of advice was go home if you want to be an anchor and turn on the closed captioning on the TV and then read it as if that was a So prompter. that was like your training, like I'm going to yeah, read the news. that was my teleprompter. Yeah. And, okay, and interesting. That, and everyone there said you got to go to Mizzou. So and that's. So his career kind of led me into. So that's interesting. So they said Mizzou, like from uh-huh. Dallas, that yeah. was the, the destination. I know it's one of the best right in the running with all the other schools. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. I didn't know in Texas that that pull of you go to Mizzou. Yeah, in terms of in terms of TV, I mean, you're going to have sports people that are going to say Syracuse. Yeah, I don't want to get into an ego. Yeah, I didn't go to any of these schools, <laughs> but everybody gets sensitive. Northwestern, yeah. So there's always. But actually, outside of the state of Missouri and maybe Illinois, Texas brings the second most out of state kids to Missouri. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, I didn't, that's, that's another, that's another new nugget <laughs> uh, there. Part of that is because Texas schools are really hard to get into if you live right. in the state of Texas. Okay. So that's another reason why. Now, when you were in Texas, was it Trinity Christian mm-hmm. Academy? You were a tennis player then? I was. So not to jump too far ahead, but this has kind of always been in your blood. Like tennis has been your game. Well, yeah, I was a diver until um, I dove year-round junior Olympic diver until I was um, 12, 13 years old, and then I had back surgery, which made me quit. Um, I'd always kind of played tennis with my mom. It was kind of her and I thing because I wasn't very good at golf. Um, I didn't have the patience for it, as my dad tried to teach me. So I played tennis um, throughout high school, and then when it came to college, I probably maybe could have played at like a D2 school or something, but I knew that wasn't really a a long career move for me right, in tennis. Right. So at the, I, and at that point, you yeah. wanted to focus on <laughs> yeah. kind of the career side of things. So that's interesting. No, I mean, usually there's some sort of athletic background mm-hmm. that goes into, I put it this way, and you can disprove if you want, but when you played a sport at a high level, it's either I want more of this, like I want to get into this career, or it, people go the other way. Like I played it, I'm done. I just kind of want to withdraw from the sports scene for a while. Yeah, and especially tennis. And I know this a lot because my husband played and coached. It's such an isolating sport that it's funny that now that we have a kid, my husband's like, I want him to play anything other than tennis. That's, that's yeah, true. Because I like... want him to play a team sport. So sometimes I think you almost get, in terms of people that do it for way longer than my tennis career was, you know, I just wanted to be around sports and just the environment and the thrill of sports. But then you take it to the opposite side, like you said, my husband, who was in it for forever, I can't even get him to go out and hit a ball with me. Like he, other than like doing it for his job, he would never play like with me or just for fun. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a it's job kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah. at that point. Well, no, it's uh, it's interesting. And you get to, I guess, your Mizzou part of your of your journey. And 
graduate with honors, everything goes well there. But you didn't want to go into sports right away. Was it news was kind of what you thought originally? I thought so. And part of the program is that they make you go through news, which really helped because, you know, sports is not just telling scores and showing highlights. To be a journalist, you also have to have a news background to know what you can and cannot share. There's HIPAA laws. There's all different ways of reporting the news in terms of building your connections with people and what you can and cannot report. So I think just having that news background um, and working at a local station in Missouri really helped me consider myself more as a journalist and not just like a sports anchor or a, or yeah. say a sports girl, you know. Well, it's funny about that too because you don't really see that in see that in real life until they mess up. Until yeah. there's a mistake, then it's like, wow, that that's why these rules are in place, yeah. or that's why everyone says that. And then nowadays, I mean, it, it's still you know relatively new or around the same age, but you have, I mean, you have these feature pieces, you have a lot of long form journalism that's making it to the sports shows. That's not just highlight. If anything, it's getting further towards free form long news journalism. Yeah, and that to me, that's like my biggest passion. Like if you were to watch E60, like that, yeah. oh, that would be great. like my goal and. So you learn, you know, not people think, oh, you're a sideline reporter. You just give like, you know, two or three little feature stories on the side of us, you know, on the sidelines or talk about injuries. But, you know, you go through the news program at Mizzou or, or whatever journalism school you are, and you really know how to ask questions. So this is my first year at ESPN. If you think that like asking people questions and doing interviews are easy, there's a guy there, John Sawatsky, who has developed his own method of interviewing people and it is a three-day seminar oh. 10 hours a day wow. no lunch break no lunch break that Breaks sounds a little unfair. Down. <laughs> well you get, they bring you lunch okay. but there ain't, there's right. no You're leaving eating. the room that's good yeah. um and so it just shows like how in-depth just even asking simple questions are they teach you how to get the best answer how to bring people into the moment and not leave the moment. Right. Um, how to bring out emotion in your interviews. So there's really kind of an art to it. Yeah, and yeah. and as we'll get to in a little bit, you don't have all day. You have to kind of get to <laughs> yeah. the point and everything. But all right, let's keep it moving here. Chris Bunn, Money Mitch Effect, ESPN Sideline Reporter, Tennis Channel Court Report Talent. You graduate with Mizzou. Everything's fine there. Is your first job in Columbia? Did you stay in Missouri for a little bit, or did you um, only to, because I yeah. couldn't get a job? Okay. So I stayed. Isn't that incredible, though? Yeah. I mean, like you graduate with honors <laughs> from the top school or one of the top schools in the country, and it's a struggle for you to get a yeah. job. Yeah. So I, I mean, graduated <laughs> in May. Geez. I didn't get a job until November. Wow. And spent endless amounts of money sending out VHSs, which now I'm like, you know how much money I would save if I could just send out like a link? You just look at the kids today. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. It's so easy. And it was like 12 bucks a pop every time you sent a VHS someplace. And I did. So places like Lawton, Oklahoma wouldn't hire me. I had a job interview in Montgomery, Alabama that I actually got the job, but turned it down. Um, and then in November, after I graduated, got a job at Charlottesville working for it was a triopoly at the time. It was the Fox, ABC, and CBS station all rolled into one. So now at that job, when you're in that position, are you the do-it-all? Yes. You have to like, this and, is how do-it-all yeah. it was there. Yeah. So you had competing 11 o'clock. The CBS and the ABC went on at the same time. And if you only had one sports anchor that day, you had to stack the shows so that you could do your sports cast on one, run through the door, change your microphones, 
hop on the set and then do the sports wow. cast for the other station. So they so they shared talent? Is that yeah. what you're Wow. <laughs> That's a new one. I yeah. heard of that one. Wow, it must have been a, a pretty small time. But I learned a lot. I worked. I made no money. It was yeah. actually a lot of fun because no one made any money. And yeah. We were all in our first jobs and all those people are still some of my closest friends. The part, hard part about it, Charlottesville is an amazing city if you've never been, but it's a really expensive city for um, not making a whole lot of money. Wow. So like watching The Bachelor was like our nights out because we couldn't was... really afford to like go wow. do much. How far away is that from like the bigger cities in Virginia? It's about two hours from D.C. Two it's about hours. an hour okay. and a half from Richmond. Okay. It's where UVA is. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah. that's your pretty, it was probably your first experience really as a professional covering a major college. Yeah. And, and that was a story. for a small market, I mean, there's... It, there was a huge college there and I granted I had to learn sports I never covered before like field hockey and lacrosse um but for a small market it was a, it was a great town to cover I wanted to ask you before we went any further because yeah. I forgot to earlier uh as a Mizzou alum are you optimistic pessimistic about the future of both the football and basketball programs because I've I've got a bunch of Mizzou <laughs> contacts and friends and they're all across the board on both football and basketball. Oh, I, I see. I feel like being a Mizzou fan, I don't have high expectations. That's the like, general I feel theme. like every time you get excited, like I, Mizzou has been ranked for one week when the BCS still existed. For one week in the history of Mizzou, they were ranked number one. And I mm-hmm. have that laminated yeah. <laughs> well, poll. Because t- then they lost to Oklahoma and then yeah. they dropped. Well, I always tell people like nowadays, like, isn't it crazy? Kids will never realize and believe that Mizzou, Kansas was like a top five. I know matchup. that's so sad. And my sister went yeah. to Kansas, and yeah. so when that rivalry died, it was like a little home rivalry yeah. died too. And I've been to one of those games at Rupp, mm-hmm. um, and it's fantastic. But like, so Mizzou is known for going to the Elite Eight the most amount of times, having never made it to a Final Four. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think just this cautious optimism. I mean, they, yeah. For <laughs> the basketball team, the basketball team is going to have the number one player in the country. Yeah, that's true. But we've seen yeah. that that doesn't matter the last couple of years that's in terms true. of. And I covered Success. Conzo at Tennessee, so I like yeah. him. So well, I remember him from uh, Missouri State. Oh, yeah. When he first, we used to go to the Missouri Valley uh, tournament, and I remember him there. And, I mean, I didn't see him making all those moves. I know there's some people in your other neck of the woods that aren't really his biggest fans. Yeah, but, yeah. but I digress. <laughs> but that's a good way to segue into the Tennessee mm-hmm. job. It was 2008. Yeah. You get hired at uh, is it WBIR in Tennessee and Knoxville. So yeah. you're... It's a step up. You're right in college town. You're right in the heart of SEC country. Did you realize exactly what you were walking into in terms of a passion standpoint? I know like it seems like it's passionate. Yeah. But I haven't been there or worked there. I, I two things surprised me is a um I, I think I understood the passion. My parent my parents went to Bama, so Oh wow, yeah. you're all over the SEC map. So um so I understood the passion. Here's what I didn't understand was just how big like Neyland Stadium is. And then how much people care about recruiting? Yeah. Like, like it's a whole nother season. Like, football season ends, and then it's recruiting season. And as a news reporter and sports anchor, like, I had to report on things that, like, 17-year-olds are saying and doing. And I was not used to because mm-hmm. at Missouri and at Virginia, like, we never reported on recruits except for no. National Signing Day. And now you have people, like, committing at 16 years old, and I'm like, and then they change their mind. And so it's just, like stuff like rivals and all that stuff out there is huge and that was a shock to me. and it keeps growing at an alarming yeah, pace <laughs> um i won't i want to ask you to out anybody but were there stories or rumblings about the illegal proprieties because you hear that at every college and main conference but it seems like the sec is at another level 
it doesn't really get talked about as much. I mean, until until something pops up, and it wasn't necessarily paying players, but we covered the hostess program, like two girls getting paid to go to a high school and put signs up and talk to a recruit. It was more of things like that and not directly like, here I'm giving you like a Cadillac kind of deal. Okay, yeah, it could could be a lot worse. (laughs) I mean, it's not exactly Louisville, but you know. But that's where you had to learn like some of my news reporter stuff came in because, you know, not to knock the SEC, but there are more frequent arrests in that area in terms of football players. And I think someone put a stat that's like 30 players – of this in this year's draft have been arrested. Yeah, it's like one in seven if you yeah. if you stretch out for the number of and picks. And then half of those are from the SEC. So wow. you just have probably because there's not much else to do in some of these towns, you just kind of get into trouble. And so uh, you know, I'd use my news reporter hat to cover you know arrests and. So that was. I mean, you were there for a while though. Yeah. It was a it was a large part of your career. Yeah, six uh, six years. So you were a reporter and an anchor, so you got to do a little bit of both. Yeah, and in fact, I applied for a job in D.C. and went up there and interviewed. And, she, and at this point, I had been there four years. And she and in this business, like you usually leave after two years. And she was like, you know, why would you stay? Does it show that you have a lack of enthusiasm or a lack of drive because you stayed at the wow, same place? Really? <laughs> and I was like. No, the recession came and people yeah. were losing jobs left and right, and I got a raise and was just happy to have a but, job. Yeah, I mean, I almost I see like kind of that perspective, but at the other side, it's like you're still you still have a good job. You're, I mean, I'm assuming you're signed off on doing quality work. Like, is it a bad thing that you're still perfecting no, and your I, craft? And at that point, it was like it takes a while to build your connections and your contacts. And, and so everybody's I, path's different. Like, it's not yeah, like you just. And I two, felt like two. I had. You know, really after two years, kind of made a mark in the community of, of, you know, having the contacts that you need to break stories. And I just was kind of feeling I liked it there. Yeah. And so, you know, whatever. I didn't get that job, but, but you know. And the one other thing about Tennessee, I, I need to bring this up. Were you there working the night Lane Kiffin took the USC job? <laughs> yeah. So this is a funny story. I had just <laughs> gotten back from vacation uh, that day and was on my way to a bar to go play trivia. <laughs> And that's always a good place. I know. To start well, a story. people had kept saying, like, you know, because Lane was like the fourth pick for USC that day, and other people kept turning the job down. And he said he he turned the job down on like local television. Yeah, right? before he'd even <laughs> yeah. been offered yeah. the job. Like, and so we were kind of like, no way that's going to happen. And our friend that we're about to go play trivia with calls, and he's like, "Hey, did you turn on the TV?" And at that point, I was like, "I knew." I'm like, at that point, I knew. And so I went directly to the campus where they had uh, an immediate press conference. And there was a huge fight at the press conference. And then there was riots and people burning mattresses. Then I became a news reporter again. Then it wasn't about Lane Kiffin leaving. Then it was about people trying to jump and scale the walls of Neyland Stadium. Like, right. He had to sleep in his office that night, right? Like, I, I was thinking about that. Like, yeah. how do you physically get out? Yeah. I, d- I thought like, it's somebody getting another job, a dream job. We, we understand yeah. why that happens. He probably could have handled it better. As we've seen in the last couple of years, he's not the best yeah. in the PR I think department. What, what made people mad? Because, first of all, people liked him there. He, you know, he had a good, I mean, he had a couple of good I do remember specifically almost beating Bama in a, when they were like won the title that year. Yeah, or, and he know. had brought this different kind of enthusiasm. Yeah. There was a big deal of they wore black jerseys for the first time. And, you know, he. <laughs> Talked about pumping gas and like would kind of poke at Urban Meyer, and so people <laughs> yeah, enjoyed it. That. 
So the fact that he left, that's what ticked people off because they actually really liked him. But I think what made people even more mad was Ed Ogeron was on that staff. And the next day was the day that the early enrollees were supposed to come step on campus. And there's a rule. Once you step on campus, you can't you can't undo it. You can't uh, go someplace else. Yeah. He was uh, reportedly was calling these recruits saying, don't go to class tomorrow. Come with us to USC. Oh, wow. So that, I, that's what really also kind of. So I didn't realize Coach O is like the, the side villain. He's yeah. Like <laughs> this whole thing, yeah. Very, very different. Well, okay. Well, I know I had to bring that up because I, I knew yeah. someone that was there at that same time, but it was a wild story from yeah. the outside. And there, there was a whole mess also about like he wasn't going to ask questions. And in the, in the press conference, there, it got to be a whole heated mess. Okay. Well. <laughs> well, we can we can keep it moving along here with Chris Bunn on the Money Mitch effect. Uh, I want to transition now, Chris, into the move out west. So 2014, what was the first, I guess, domino to fall? I mean, you have a couple different gigs. I know the Padres. I know college football mm-hmm. at Fox first. What first brought you out here? So what happened first was I was still at WBIR in Knoxville, and my contract was coming up, and I was looking at a couple different places. And funny enough... I had a job interview in Boston and their sports director, their news director really liked me and they said, they put me in the cab and they said, study your Boston sports, we're going to hire you. I was like, great. Sounds good. (laughs) Two days later, I get a call from my agent and she said, the owner of the station doesn't like your look. You you didn't get the job. The look, oh, okay. I was like, okay. Hmm. Okay. Funny enough, they hired someone who looks very similar to me, <laughs> who I'm actually friends with now, but that's for another story. So I didn't get that job, and so I was still looking around, and I had actually interviewed at Fox in, like, April and heard nothing back until August, and that's when I got the job my first year was doing sidelines on the NFL for Fox. Okay. But that's just, I mean, people think, oh, you're a sideline reporter, you're, like, in the money now, like. Not really, because I only did probably 14 games. So I need, like, work to do the rest of the year. So with that, I was technically a freelancer, and Fox um, paired me with a job doing dugout reporter for the Padres. And so I would do that during football season, then I transitioned into college. Um, And so I was with Fox College for about two years. So you're still living in Tennessee, but traveling a bunch for... For the job, and then you moved. Is that right? So I, so I did NFL season, and then got the Padres job, and moved. Okay. In March of 2014 or 15, whatever, 14. Okay. Yeah. Now I should bring this up. At this time, were you married? Was this? No. No. Because so, I got to get to that story yeah. about how it's like right out of the television. So you took a tennis lesson from your future yes. husband. Um, and then this story. So we had been engaged and at that point. I was in Tennessee covering football and college basketball so we planned an april wedding so like soon as the tournament's over Mm -hmm. i have some downtime and then i got the job with the padres and still had the april wedding date and so in my interview i said can i get off for my wedding um he's like you can have two days off oh (laughs) so i was like okay that's fine because my husband's still like he wasn't able to move yet Mm -hmm. so as the date gets closer, I then realize like I have to get a marriage license, and you have to do that like a couple days. So then I had to go beg for four days off for my wedding. So I went. <laughs> so I started working with the Padres, moved to San Diego. My husband still lived in Knoxville. 
Went and got married in Charleston, South Carolina, on the other coast. Okay. Got married the day after my wedding. I left to Milwaukee on a 10-game road trip and didn't see my husband for two months. Wow. And then the honeymoon was sometime thereafter. It was the following February. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's not... <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, you see that a lot, though. Like, I had no idea until I got out here how many couples were just split up across the country mm-hmm. for TV jobs, yeah. waiting to move, not able to move yet. And when it's my, a sacrifice. Yeah, and my husband got a job up here we're kind of fast forwarding but he got a job up here and i was still doing padre stuff and when you commit i mean commit to the whole season you can't just like leave and And you're talking about the pepperdine coaching job so he was in la area yeah and i was in san diego Diego, and we kind of went you know did that for two months and you know it's not always you know (laughs) was yeah was baseball like i don't want to say a throw-in but was it your forte did you ever think that was a job you do was it something to pass the time until something else opened up no i i I loved baseball. I had never covering it in terms of like a sideline reporter is a lot different oh, than yeah, any, way different and than anything else because when I do a basketball or football game, I'm so much talking about what's going on in the middle of the game and what's going on on the sidelines. In baseball, you don't have that dynamic. So a lot of what you're reporting is is previous conversations that you've had in the clubhouse. It's also just so different in terms of... You could say slow, I guess. And, well, it's <laughs> yeah. slow, but it's, and it's every day. And there, there's so many different rules to baseball that you don't... You know, you can't talk to the starting pitcher the day of. So then you have to remember to talk so to the day of. that's an official rule or teams put that in place? Um, it's or like an unwritten, unwritten rule. rule. And then okay. some, some pitchers have it. He doesn't like to talk two days before. <laughs> so <laughs> there's just a lot of unwritten rules in baseball in terms of covering that you just kind of get used to. And I never tra- traveled with a team. Mm-hmm. Um, before I've always, you know, for football, you cover different teams all the time and you're just with your set broadcast crew. This, I was basically part of the Padres broadcast. And so I traveled with them. Everywhere they went. Everywhere. 162 there's, games a year. <laughs> you know, somewhere in there, there's probably some stories <laughs> traveling yeah. with a baseball yeah. team. Um, but I will say going into like the professional side of things, like this was like a full time mm-hmm. year with the team. You get to know and, and build a rapport with the same athletes. Yeah. It had to be a little different on that front, not seeing a different team, different athlete every day. It was, and it's almost like it's a little easier in terms of the preparation. If I do a college football game, the likelihood that is that I didn't cover that team the previous game. So I got to go watch both of their old games. And then I got to prep all week. I, I probably don't know most of those players if I've never covered that team before. My prep for a baseball game was doing the game the night before. And you really only cover your team. I mean, you'll add in little things of the opposing team. But for the most part, mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of easier in terms of the preparation because you were around it every day. I Do you feel like it's like more nuanced, though? Like the expectation from fans, from broadcasters, from management is... Because you know this team, you need to be more detailed. You need to find, you know, dig up more dirt, dig up more interesting info. A, a little bit. It's, it's. I would say it's harder to come up with content mm-hmm. because you're talking about it every single day. Um, and then, you know, not to rag on the Padres, but for the last couple of years, they haven't been in it <laughs> no by the All Star break. Breaking <laughs> yeah. News. So, you know, by the All Star break, you have guys that it's aren't like, really wanting to talk. What do you, you know, right. you kind of run out of things to talk about. <laughs> so, April, it's like you're, you're having a good season. You'd think you're going to get traded yeah. soon. Like, it's probably what. And honestly, what like, then the trade deadline comes and you're kind of excited because you have new players and you have fresh content right. to talk about. Right. right. I will say I have a new respect, though, for players. Like, I've seen these guys, like, their wives give birth and they miss their kids' birth and, like, you know, parents die and you they only get two days of bereavement. So. 
it's so much different than other sports because most of these guys don't live in the cities of where they play. Yeah, like you have football. a lot of time off. I guess football's kind of that way, too. Well, but, like, for the Cowboys, I know most yeah. of those players live in Dallas full-time. Well, it is Dallas, too. I don't, I mean, you know. <laughs> but it's San Diego. You would have thought most yeah. of them would have yeah. cho- chosen to stay in San Diego, but most of them live elsewhere during the offseason. The NFL job transitioned to college football at Fox, mm-hmm. and then you got to ESPN college football. Was that the big gig that brought you to L.A.? And we are like, now I can... Can join my husband up here. Well, kind of. So, what I do for for college football, I can do out of anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got to be near an airport. So, when my husband got the job up here, I was actually pregnant, and I knew that there was no way I was going to be able to have a family and do the baseball grind. It's just that's an interesting story, by the way. I read <laughs> up on that about the delivery of your son, yeah. where it was, and flying and getting shamed by pregnant women, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, so when so I left um, San Diego in September of 2015. My husband had gotten a job at Pepperdine, and he had followed me to San Diego for my job. And so I said, you know what, let's let's go for your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. There's no way I can continue this baseball grind and have a little one at home. Um, I might have been able to work something out where I wasn't doing so many games, but I just kind of thought this is a perfect opportunity. So, and then during that time, kind of while I was on maternity leave or whatever. I had some conversations with ESPN, and they signed me to a contract. And so it was really, um, I kind of took a leap of faith just moving up to L.A. with my husband, thinking, oh, I'm sure I'm going to get work, (laughs) land a TV. And then I had people being like, hold on, you moved from San Diego where you had a great job to come to L.A. where everyone else wants to be on TV, thinking you're going to get a job in TV. (laughs) While you're it's kind of funny while you you're six like months that, yeah. pregnant, I mean, we're sitting here at the tennis channel, and I interviewed here when I was seven months pregnant. Yeah, no, and they still that. gave me a job. So that was that was an interesting yeah. uh, interview. It's like I'm, I'm here to interview. I'm yeah. gonna have a baby really yeah. soon, but we'll talk after that. But it worked out. <laughs> it did. It did. And then the college football. Thing, I mean, you got to work with the same crew. You did a lot of Pac-12 after dark, um, mm-hmm. some ACC games as well. But that, I mean, that was uh, a chance to work on a prominent network with the same crew and be a recognizable face on it. I mean, that, in terms of a career path, that had to feel pretty good to get that tied down like ESPN college football, the stuff that I'm sure a lot of kids dream about. When yeah, I mean, when you when you first start out and you think, what's your dream job? You know, I think, you know, most people would have said, I, you know, my dream's to be at ESPN. And it's not just like... I'm at the network. It's I'm working alongside people that I had watched, you know, and admired, and other women like Holly Rowe and Lisa Salters. Like, we have a college football um, seminar every year, and so last year to sit like in that meeting room with all these people that I hugely admired from a journalism and from a TV standpoint um, was kind of like, wow, you know, and I'm in the same room. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good, and. You know, I did want to ask you about some of the pressure moments. I mean, when you're doing sideline reporting and you have a moment before halftime, a moment after the game, or even just a moment to bring up like an injury report. Mm-hmm. Is that as, I guess, as hard as it gets in terms of preparation meeting improv? Because I, I feel like you do have to just balance out being flexible, but also being thoroughly prepared because you yeah. don't have much time. No, and, and that's why I say like, of all the stuff and like the time that I prepare, I only use one percent of it, if that. For my job, I need to know the injury background of every player. Because if a guy tears his ACL, 
and I didn't know that that's the same ACL that he tore last year, then I'm missing half the story if I right. don't that if I don't report and, that. And a good example of that, you were at the uh, UCLA was at Arizona State game mm-hmm. when Rosen got. Oh there. yeah. And, I mean he's. I mean, that's something where he is as big a name as there was in the country. And we had been lucky with that because we had had the previous game. So we had had UCLA like four times last year. So we were lucky in that, that I kind of had seen the injury firsthand and and followed it up. But, like, you want to talk terms of, like, halftime interviews. Like, sometimes in your mind, like, two minutes before you think you have all these questions and then something happens right before half and you have to completely change your mindset. Like... For example, I had UVA Louisville this year, and Louisville was trailing at half, and I was going to go interview Bobby Petrino. <laughs> and I actually, like, I, I had planned out in my head what I was going to ask because I knew he was going to be not happy. Uh, and so I was trying to, like, what can I say that's going to tick him off the most but get the most information? And so I walk up to him, and he is berating the officials. Well, at that point... Whatever questions you were going to ask, yeah, go gotta, out the window, and then you just ask, what was your issue with the officials? Same thing when you interview Coach Calipari. Like, you're probably yeah. not going to get a second question, and if you can, it needs to be off what he just said. And so um, I think a lot of the feedback that I get and that I'm still working on is try not to be too prepared in your interviews because you need to listen to what they say and sometimes there might be a follow-up off of it. Sometimes there won't be. But if you've relied too much on what you have kind of in your head mapped out, then you'll miss a good follow-up. Right. So you, a lot of it's listening. You kind of have to balance that type A, type B personality. Yeah. Where you can't be just, this is what the script is. This is what I'm going to go to. Because you could get an answer and interaction. Yeah. And for me, it's read. easier post-game. Like, halftime. Yeah, because you're getting, like, the winner. You're, you know, yeah, you're and you can to, be in you know. the moment. Halftime, it's like, you know you have two questions, and they're wanting to get off the field, and then there's there's a whole lot of traffic. Post-game, you you have an opportunity to let it breathe, and so I, I don't, you know, map things out as much in my head as I do halftime, but then there's the fear of you're going to, you know, they may give you one word answer, and so you better have a second question in your head, yeah. you know. Well, and then some of these coaches, I'm guessing, I mean, I don't know your perspective, but they seem like a little intimidating on TV. I saw uh, the game you did with, uh, I think it was Miami and Georgia Tech, where, I mean, they won. Mark Richt was a little, uh, you know, he's an intense guy wearing yeah. sunglasses, but... Do you get that vibe sometimes where they're just either not, they don't want to talk or they just don't like the media? I think part of it is knowing going in. And we meet with these coaches during the week. So you kind of have an idea. And they all have a reputation. And you can talk to – I always talk to other um, reporters at ESPN to say, you know, ask about their dealings and what's the best way. And a lot of coaches don't like it if you'll kind of put your two cents into the question. You know? And, and I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. And, and so – you know, you had to leave it non-slanted and kind of vanilla. But you kind of know going in, like that interview with Bobby Petrino, like I knew it probably wasn't going to, you know, be real pleasant. But like at the same time, like I knew he wasn't going to like completely blow me off. There's a camera there. You right. know, they also know that like they have to be a little bit, you know. For sure. Well, we continue on here on the Money Mitch Effect with Chris Budden talking sports, her journey all the way here to this Tennis Channel <laughs> studio. The college football side, as well as the other jobs, Chris, we talked about this before we went on, about the importance of a crew. And you get to work with the same crew, not just the on-air talent, but the people in the production truck. How in- invaluable is that yeah. for your, your path and your progress as a broadcaster? Especially in football, where there's so much prep that goes into football, 
other sports are a little bit different. First of all, basketball is half as long. You don't have nearly as many sales elements. But you're on, I, I say this, I'm with them probably more than I am my, my family. Yeah. And so you spend Thanksgiving, you spend Christmas if you're doing bowl games. They really become your family. And I was really close to the crew I worked with at Fox because I was with that director and producer there for three years. Um, and at an early stage in your career yeah. where you're learning stuff by the day. And, and a lot of the talent was also about my age. Joe Davis, who's now the voice of the Dodgers, yeah. was um, my play-by-play guy for two years. And he we had kids at the same time. And his wife and I are good friends. And so you kind of build these little families because when you're on the road all the time, it's hard to make friends. And so that's a nice part of it. There's also a trusting factor with you and your producer of, knowing that you have something and having them come down to you because what people don't realize is part of my job i have to sell my hits to the producer i have to say i have this you know you should come down to me or i can add on that um if you don't have a good relationship with your producer they you know yeah, they decide whether or not it. you're going to go on air and they're going to open your mic or not yeah build up that goodwill yeah. and get to that point and so that's really important and especially like working some of these big events like there, there's certain things where I feel like when stories break or events cover where it takes the full team where one person just can't do it. And I keep referencing the game you had, Texas and Kansas, mm-hmm. when everybody knew as soon as that gun sounded that Charlie Strong was getting fired. But it took reporting, it took everything to kind of just bring that together. I mean, I, I think synergy in, in any business is a big thing, but especially college football where you know, it's live, it's action-packed, and, and you don't have a lot of time on your own to really tell the whole story. Yeah, and to, and I say this, like, I'm the eyes and ears down there. So for as much as the guys in the booth can talk about things, I can add what the emotion is like down there. That exact moment, like, when they went into overtime against Kansas, at that moment, even if they had won, those players knew they had cost Charlie that job. Yeah. And you could feel that down there. Um, and so... They, you know, Coach Bellotti, who was my analyst, can add, you know, what this means to Texas and what Charlie did right or wrong. And my part in there is to add what the emotions like on the sideline. So you're trying to get it from from all different facets. And without that trust, really, between you and your entire broadcast crew, I think if you look at what we call the B team at ESPN, which is Holly Rose crew, they do just an incredible job of. It's it's what I say. It's almost like three mics, and they're all just What's talking. What's the full crew again? Um, it would be Joe Tessitore okay. and um, well, yeah. I'm seeing his face right now, and I um, I, yeah, I'm even. I'm familiar with. It. And um, the thing I like about that crew, especially, is not overwording it. Like every time they come on and, and give you something, it has value. Yeah. When there's a big moment, and, and I'm just and me as a fan of bro- of broadcasting and sports. I like when announcers will let it breathe, when the moment yeah. is just the moment. You don't have to overword it and come on with something useless. Yeah, and that you're able to make it sound conversational, too, and not like, here's the I'm going to give the play, and now let's look at the you know review and replay, and now the, the analyst. And when you watch you know Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, I think they do a fantastic job. Right, just, they get so much flack yeah. online. I know, so but you either love Joe Buck or hate Joe Buck. I love Joe. No, I, I think like he's him a too. Fantastic. I, I get into arguments with my family all the time, yeah. especially during that World Series. <laughs> I'm just, sure. uh, but no, I think they do a good job too. Uh, I did want to also kind of talk about on the on the more serious side. I know you've sp- you've spoken to you know Mizzou, spoken to different uh, alumni groups, and you've addressed working as a woman in mm-hmm. sports. And one of the things you said, which I thought was fascinating, was 
that you're just expected to know more. Like you have to be on top of your stuff. The expectation is you, if you don't know it, it's just a woman that doesn't know sports. Yeah. And then I, and I thought about that and I thought that was kind of interesting. Like you having to, you know, the implication of having to know more. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel that way? Has it gotten better in the last couple of years? Um, I don't feel like that way with my colleagues at all. Yeah. I do feel that way on the outside. Mm-hmm. Like, we all have brain farts. If we were to sit here and have a conversation about the Titans and I couldn't remember Marcus Mariota's name, then that would look like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. But a guy could make that same, you know, flub or whatever, and it it doesn't come across as the same way. Right, the perspective to kind of like general people, not so much friends or family. Exactly. And so I remember one time I was walking to a game at Tennessee and someone came up and they go, hey, what's a squib kick? I'm like, they just quiz you. I'm, like, I said, I'm just like walking to do my job, and you're just trying to like test my yeah. not like 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 yeah. come on, like this is yeah. stupid. Um, I, I think it's definitely gotten better, but I also just think that in today's days, day and age of social media, you just can't make mistakes because they last for forever. Hmm. You know, you could I could have made a mistake ten years ago, and it doesn't exist online in the same fashion that it used to and get up online within seconds yeah. i mean it was the i mean even if it's you know the, the girl who got the auburn girl they got the, the kickoff right in the face oh, I mean, yeah, that was yeah. up seconds yeah. after it happened so there's there's a, more of a pressure and i don't know if it's a female thing or just in today's day and yeah. age well i also kind of think too i mean you're you're accurate in that assessment but i also think if anybody that works in sports it's almost like being a, and I put it this way, like it's almost like being a stand-up comedian to your friends and family. Like they expect yeah, you to be yeah, on at yeah. all times. Like you come around people and they're like, "Oh, you work in sports? What's this? What's that?" You know. And now, and also, like now, there's like, I used to live and breathe sports, and now I have a family and I have a kid. So like, you know what? Yesterday I didn't watch the NBA playoffs. Okay. I didn't. I had a day off it with probably, my husband and yeah. my kid, and we went to the beach. You get you, you know? get time, and it kind of desensitizes. It does. You. And so, if you were to ask me today, like, what happened besides you know the Cavs sweep and besides Russell Westbrook getting into an argument, like other than things that I yeah. saw but on see, that's Sports the Center, media side of it, yeah, probably but but I didn't, I couldn't yeah. tell you how many yeah. points you know LeBron <laughs> scored last night because I wasn't sitting at home watching right. it like I used to, and now I'm kind of over it. You know, like. I don't need to know everything about everything all the time. I need to know about the stuff that I'm covering for my Arkansas spring game that I have this weekend that I haven't right. started yet, so don't ask. Um, but <laughs> but in general, I don't care as much now because now I I feel like it's okay to take a mental break from it. Right, and, and you know, studying as well, like with the Arkansas spring game, and mm-hmm. I think it was Reese Davis who said this, but. The homework's fun, so it's not hard to do. Like yeah. it's you know, it's stuff you enjoy doing, so it's not like a test in college for a question you want to take. No, it's much but I will say it's a ton of reading. In fact, I was listening to a podcast with Kevin Harlan when I was coming in. He was like, "I swear, like ninety percent of my job is reading and reading up until the moment the ball kicks off because there's constantly articles. Because those people, you really need to get a sense of." that fan watches every single game and you're coming in just doing that game. Yeah, the national guy, yeah. Yeah, you need to get a sense of the ups and downs of that season and what the fans are feeling so you really have an ability to see things from their perspective. Right, and I'm glad you brought up the the Westbrook thing because that was ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I I know the media is doing their job, but the way that question was worded is just the, the, the backhanded, uh, well, and here's and when I, I you know, because I saw it on Twitter before I saw it anywhere, and it was like Russell Westbrook like screams at <laughs> yeah, and then no. I watched it and I was like, 
That was pretty just tame. Stood like, up, I said just, we're in this together. Yeah, and so I was like, well, I don't understand where all the outrage is. I mean, the the question today. itself, I don't think the guy was looking to, to get a reaction or go viral. I don't even really you know know who asked that question, but I just thought as a fan, like we everybody knows the numbers. Like, there's no reason to bring that up. You're yeah. just gonna agitate them asking that question. Well, and sometimes I feel like. Like John Sawatsky would say in our thing, like there's no reason to add facts into your question because a you're exactly. taking information what they would be saying, and all it does is is showing that you did your homework. And if you're confident enough in yourself, then you don't need yeah. to sit there and spout off facts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And you mentioned some people that were pretty important in, in your development right now, and I guess dating back to when you started all the way back in college. Who are some of the big role models and some of the people that have mentored you and kind of guided you along the way? Um, there's been a lot kind of throughout. I know this is like an path. Academy Award speech. Yeah. You forget some. Um, just, yeah. I mean, in terms of, I mean, people that Michelle Tafoya, I've never even met her, but like in terms of like my idol and, and what I would strive to be, her, Lisa Salter. So like these, these are people I've never even met before, but they're, yeah. they, they're who I wanted to be on a day to day basis basis um i certainly had several at tennessee just in terms of how to be a reporter there's a guy named brent hubbs who writes for volquest for their rivals website um i always admired where he comes from from a reporting standpoint my dad was a big influence in my career and he knows really nothing about tv but when i was at mizzou and we were doing our first test of on-air stuff i got a bad grade and i was used to always getting good grades and I came home over Christmas, and my I overheard my dad telling my mom, I don't know if she has the heart for this because I don't know if she can handle being criticized. Yeah. And it, my dad, I don't even know if he even knows that I heard that. But to me, that was like a kick in the rear end of like, you know what, I you know I, I do have some tough skin, and that you have to learn to grow. Um, there was a woman who used to work at ESPN, uh, Kara Capuano. And she helped me in terms of my transition into working at a regional network. At ESPN, all the reporters, we have bi-weekly conference calls where we show different clips um, and we've all helped each other out. I mentioned Joe Davis and he's younger than me and uh, <laughs> far, <laughs> far exceeded like any of my talents and watching him and his drive and, and how much thought goes into calling a game the, well, yeah. the and, art of and it and he's got the most pressure he's in the most pressure yeah. position right now in all sports replacing I Vince worked Scully. with Dick Emberg <laughs> oh yeah there I like mean. the the greatest it's really interesting that's like right up your alley too because this is like one of the yeah, voices yeah, of tennis yeah also. so we would sit around and talk about it but just the way that you know there's an art to what they do um people just think you get up there and call games and you do some studying there's right. there's a real art to it so there's there's so so many of them and probably most have no idea and I'm and I've never met them how big of an impact they've had in my career. Wow, and probably overcoming mistakes too because yeah. you know they all everybody's human yeah. and, and they go from there. My first, real quick, my first week in Knoxville, I was doing um, the Kentucky Derby highlights, and to, in today's day and age, this would have gone viral. So thank God it didn't. <laughs> but the horse had to be euthanized. I on remember the track, that. Eight I, bells, yeah, the Philly, yeah. and I said immunized. Oh. On air, and there was all these things about how thank God because of Chris Button, the horse doesn't have chicken pox. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, funny. luckily, this was before Twitter yeah. and it didn't yeah. make the rounds. Wow. Yeah, I do remember that. That was that was I actually had some friends that were there, but yeah, you you escaped you escaped yeah. the uh, the main <laughs> thing there. Well, Chris Button, Money Mitch effect. Before we wrap this up, 
the tennis side of things. Now you get this gig here at Tennis Channel, and as we mentioned before, married to a former Tennessee tennis player, now coaches for Pepperdine. It's kind of been a lifeblood when the opportunity opened up. I mean, it sounded like you kind of pounced on it. Seven months pregnant, still interviewing for <laughs> yeah. it. Like um, you wanted this job. Yeah, then. it had always been a dream to work here. I mean, I was always into tennis even before I met my husband. Um, and as you said, we met him giving me a tennis lesson. So is that that's like a TV plot. Like, I, mean, that I, would, I would say real. it was very Real Housewives yeah. of Knoxville. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It'd be a funny interpretation of yeah. that show. But. Uh, it, but it, uh, it worked out in the long run. And so for me, like. I'm kind of like the nerd who, hey, instead of watching, you know, the NFL sometimes on a Sunday, I'm watching, you know, them play in Doha. Like, I'm watching the Fed Cup this weekend instead of watching the NBA Finals. So that's always kind of been, it's been part of my family. It's been part of my lifeblood. And in terms of, like, the studying, like, this is where I say, like, this is be my hobby anyways. Like, there is not a lot of studying that comes with this job because I'm watching it all the time anyways. I'm hearing about... Like, we'll do reports on, like, the up-and-coming and, like, who won a junior tournament. And I know all about them because my husband has talked about them and gone and seen them play yeah. at tournaments. And I know where they're considering going to college <laughs> and know way more about, like, some 16-year-old in Russia playing. <laughs> well, and I think as a, as a reporter, as someone that, you know, still covers a lot of different sports, when you do these updates, when you do stuff on air mm-hmm. with tennis names, that yeah. if you can do that, I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> that's it. Like true. 50 names the from Eastern all your European. Eastern European countries. Yeah, like, especially with as many players yeah. as there are because, like, someone will do well in a tournament and you'll have to say their name for, like, a week and then you won't even hear about that person again. Yeah, for, like, we'll just power some ran- random I know, Spaniard like, will I, pop up in clay court season. Yeah, like, I just again. conquered that name yeah. and now I don't have to know it ever again. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Well, no, it's, uh, it's fascinating and yeah. I know... The time of tennis right now is interesting. I mean, we keep thinking there will be a changing of the guard, mm-hmm. but this has been the year of Federer, Nadal, and Serena Williams. And I know you're a Federer fan like myself and like mm-hmm. a lot of people are. The Aussie Open this year was like one of the most, like if I'm ranking TV moments, that's up there for me of any sport. Okay, did you watch it live? Yeah, well, the thing is, too, I mean, it's different. <laughs> oh, it's you Australia. were working, so yeah. yeah. Well, that was one where we weren't working. My quick story, and I'll let you get yours, but 12 days in a row of Aussie Open overnights. Okay. And then that day, I had to switch to a day. So I was oh, trying to get no. some sleep, <laughs> but it's like I'm up. He's better yeah. playing. I watched, like, the last half of it live. I had to sleep a little bit for the beginning of it. So I'm watching it, dead tired. And that's one of the matches where I have to be sitting on the floor for. I can't be on my couch or up. I'm just watching it. Like, mm-hmm. no no partying, whatever. Just me isolated. Yeah. And, yeah, it was uh, it was so surreal because, you know, he loses that match. He falls down a break in the last set to Nadal. Nadal just rides it out. Yeah. So to see him win that way was strange, but not quite as strange as the year he's had. But it was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, for me, like, of any, of any athlete – Federer is my number one just yeah. for what he's done for this I was like a Jordan fan growing yeah. up so I, yeah Federer is a close second yeah. for me because it's two different versions of myself it's the little kid that wanted sure. to be like yeah. Mike and it's the <laughs> teenager that was like this guy is just so cool he's so classy like I remember playing like hockey and tennis and like man I wish I had my temper under control yeah. I wish I could be like well, that and, and I was a Sampras fan before that. And oh, so, yeah. yeah. So, the of the choir <laughs> so for what he's done for the sport, and a lot of times you meet athletes who, like, you put up on this pedestal, and then you meet them, and they're not, you know, not everyone is as great as you build them up to be. For me, like, Federer is still that person. And so watching him this year, and my husband's a huge Federer fan. So that day, I was like, we have two options. We can get up at 3 a.m. and watch it live. Or, because we kind of get up 
early with the kid anyways, or we can put our phones away and yeah. we'll tape it and we'll, we set an alarm at five. Okay. And so then we kind of like watched it quickly for Fast the first forward, two hours yeah. and then watched the rest of it. Wow. Live. And Incredible. I think I was, in, I was, I cried. I, you know, I, I, I just close. never thought it would happen. Yeah, I didn't think so know? either. I'm texting my parents or my mom is like an obsessive fan and, uh, you know, I'm watching it and I'm, I'm pretty even keel. And then it was that 17 ball rally where, where he hit it up the line where that was the one that got me out yeah. of it. And I'm hands over the face like, and then the ending on a challenge. Like oh, a I know. And then you're like, what? I actually <laughs> like it in retrospect. At the time it was, it was pretty a stressful. But now I'm like. Well, he could win Wimbledon. Like before, yeah. and it won't be as big of a deal because this one I was like, if he doesn't win, if he doesn't win in Australia, like with the luck that he had in that draw and, and who, you know, he had to, or the guys who got knocked out, he's never going to get this chance again. Now it's like, hey, yeah. you know, he could do some damage. And, uh, it's funny because it was during the U.S. Open last year. It was Feder Isner. Yeah. And I was talking to my parents about it. And my mom was like, well, yeah, I hope Roger makes quick work of him. And my dad's like, you're not going to root for the American? No. And she looks at him and says with a straight face, let me tell you something. The only way I would root against Roger is if he was playing one of my two boys. That's it. <laughs> there <laughs> so you go. that was it. I that's, mean, that's what's so you know, interesting about tennis, yeah. too, though, is that, I mean, I would think most Americans would probably root for Federer over Isner or He's over Andy Roddick or so, you know I mean, back so likable we know the stats like most marketable athlete yeah. you know made endless amounts of money but what got me was when they were in Australia for that tournament he's the most popular athlete in Australia yeah. the Swiss the Swiss guy who's not Australian <laughs> is their most popular athlete yeah. so I mean it was incredible and the way tennis is going like you want to see that next generation come up especially on the women's side where yeah. Serena is as dominant as an athlete there's ever been but it just seems like it's it's not there for whatever reason, and you got to give credit to the greats. But at the same time, like we kind of wish the younger generation would step up a little bit. Well, more. also because I think there would be a bigger love for tennis. Like I don't know if people like my age and, and millennials really love tennis. It's something you, know, you have to there, give a chance to, right? Yeah, but yeah. there wasn't like the McEnroes and the Connors and the rivalries like. There were, and so when, like, Federer and Nadal was, the, you know, the last great rivalry, and that's kind of, well, now it's renewed, but for a while, you know, it was, you know, then it was just Djokovic's game, and he wasn't really, like, a character. He wasn't someone that, for as well as he's done, for some reason, he's, like, there aren't hardcore Djokovic fans. No. Like, you're either Federer or Nadal, and so that's why I kind of, like, I wish that Zverev, or I wish that Kyrgios wasn't such a jerk, and, like, exactly. people would... <laughs> You know, he would get a younger generation of tennis, like, into the sport. People are starting to now realize how they took for granted the consistency factor of Federer. And even Nadal, yeah. I mean, he had his injuries, but those guys were in Djokovic, too. They're making quarterfinal after quarterfinal, like, semi after semi. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they're they're probably the three greatest players ever, three of the top four or five. And Serena won the Aussie Open 10 weeks pregnant. I know. Let me tell you where I was 10 weeks pregnant. was like in bed throwing up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's. I mean, she just Crazy. continues to amaze. Yeah. And who knows? She might not come back. I don't know. We'll see. But real quick, before we wrap this up, Chris Budden, Money Mitch Effect, you started a blog recently, mm -hmm. Touchdowns and Tantrums. And what I thought was, was fascinating about it was it kind of balances out serious topics 
with more funny like asides of just stories from your life is that was that always the intent i mean you tell travel stories you tell like the story of giving birth uh, yeah. outside of where you, where you know you live but then also dealing with stuff like postpartum depression and other things was that kind of what your uh, plan was for well, this? i started it because um i don't get to write as much as i used to in terms of doing features so that was one of the reasons and then when I had a kid, like, I didn't really know other traveling reporters that had kids and how they were able to do it. And so I really was really naive. I was like, oh, I'll have a baby and we'll have a babysitter and it'll be really easy. And that's not true at all. Um, and so I get asked all the time, like, how I make it work. And our story is really kind of crazy. Like, this weekend, I make a layover in Dallas on my way to Fayetteville. My parents will meet me there, and I'll toss my kid or walk him through security. No, no not literally yeah. toss. <laughs> and then go back through security yeah. and get on my next flight. Um, so that's sometimes how I have to make it work. So I got so many questions about it. I, I wanted to talk about it. Um, and then some of the serious stuff, like about postpartum, I one time just wrote about it on my private Facebook, and I got so many comments that I decided to open it up. And for the most part, like my husband and I are – we don't do things normal way like we got married on a different coast and didn't see each other for two months and we you know drop our kid off in dallas and like have crazy travel schedules yeah. so because of that i just thought that i'd give people kind of a peek into our lives and um today i'm going to write a blog post about how um, we nearly got divorced over building this little tykes cozy coupe car for my for my son um, Whoa. It was like we don't fight about anything and we got into a screaming match um, over this little car. Wow. And then I Googled it and all these other people said the same thing. That's like the Ikea fight, right? Like that's yeah. like the number one. I think it was the number, the joke, the number three or four cause of divorce is Ikea. <laughs> Um, so I just try to be yeah. kind of well, lighthearted was, and funny with well, it. But you have stories that I think are fascinating that people would want to hear. And on the serious side, I think just having some prominence, it goes without saying like people want to know that it's not just mm-hmm. happening to them that yeah. somebody that's on TV that has a job worth having is going through the same issues well, and, I, and, and part of the reason was I wanted to show people that like we don't have this perfect life like people think oh your husband works at Pepperdine you must live in Malibu and be super rich and have eight nannies and that's not yeah. true like first like tennis coaches <laughs> at a school that doesn't have a football program right. don't make gobs of money I don't live in Malibu I would live in a corner of somebody's garage if I did um, <laughs> we've got one babysitter our lives are crazy and like I burn stuff every day when I cook and my laundry's been sitting in the dryer um, I've done five cycles before I'll actually hang it up so I just kind of wanted people are like you have a dream husband and a dream life and a dream I'm like it's not like that you know yeah. like that's not reality and our lives are crazy and stupid and you know, my husband and I get in the stupidest fights. Like today, he asked me how many how many tortillas would he need to fill up the amount of chicken that I made, and I'm like, <laughs> "Why are you at like look at the chicken and decide for yourself?" And he's <laughs> <comfortable>, eh? <laughs> so he's comfortable, okay, or I guess he doesn't really have a saying at the jury. No, I'm, <laughs> uh, I don't approve it by him before I post it. And he gets these like automatic like into his email like new post up on touchdowns so wonderful so there's like a little like (laughs) apprehension he's like that was a good one that's good never yet has he told me to take one down that's good well (laughs) and i would want to hear like certain things like just packing like the the travel schedule of just going from different regions of the country like you know there's there's a lot of stories there i'd want the one where you go to pepperdine and see drake again at a basketball game Just My husband ran into Reggie Miller this weekend. At Pepperdine, At Pepperdine huh? baseball oh. game. 
That's where uh, all the popular people are. Apparently, here. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, we tried to show my cousin Pepperdine. I think he was looking at it. And they wouldn't yeah. let us on the campus. Really? Yeah, yeah. You have to know someone. You know, they get a little sensitive with their grass we'll over help you there. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, now, I, now I know <laughs> now someone. Now you know. And, well, Chris, this was fun. Thanks for uh, giving me uh, some of your time. Yeah. And uh, where, you know, what are some of the things I guess in the future as you look still college football, another season coming up, yeah. more tennis channel kind stuff. Kind of enjoy some um, a little bit of not traveling during the summer, um, and so that's the nice part about tennis channel allows me to be in studio um, and not have to travel all the time. But then by August comes and I'm kind of like, Look, you kind of get the itch to like mm-hmm. ready to get out the door. So and a lot of you know you spend a lot of your summer prepping for. What's going to come about for college football? Because so much stuff happens. You got some spring games up, yeah. Too, and I know you you were doing uh, National Signing Day. For I did a National few. Signing Day, and I did Texas Spring Game last week. I'll do Arkansas Spring Game, and then after that, it's just Tennis Channel for a while. But constantly yeah. following what's you know the draft and. Who's and just, where. you think you guys have planted roots in L.A.? Or, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. We'll see. Yeah, I think we'll see. Uh, my family lives in Dallas. And I've always said once you start having kids, it's nice to have family nearby. Like a huh. in case of okay. emergency babysitter. Gotcha. So, we'll oh, see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Chris Button, thanks again. This was fun. We'll, uh, we save some for next time. Yeah. So, hopefully down the road we can do this again. Thanks for joining the show. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks again for listening. Chris Bunn was a phenomenal guest. Thanks to her for being gracious with her time and telling her story as always she can in a very entertaining way. Next time she's on this show, we'll be talking better, I think, for four or five hours. That's probably going to happen. But you can catch Chris at the Arkansas Spring Football Game on the sideline this Saturday, April 29th as well as on ESPN College Football Sidelines this fall and on the Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel website as a court report host breaking down all the big stories in the world of tennis. Thanks to Chris. She's a quality person in the sports industry and a very talented one at that. One more show this week. we got to talk NBA and NHL playoffs. Both postseasons move on. The NHL second round is set. Some tasty, delicious matchups. Pittsburgh, Washington, and who knows, you might even find me ringside for Anaheim and Edmonton. You know, i got to see Connor McDavid play against the Ducks out in Orange County. It's going to be a lot of orange in that series, definitely, for sure. And shout-out to Eric Carlson's hair. Great series, but that lettuce was fantastic. The Money Mitch Effect is on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can find all the episodes there by just searching Money Mitch Effect. All of the episodes in the series will pop up, all 77 of them. That's how many we've done, 77 in total. Got to keep grinding. Shooters got to shoot. So we're going to keep adding to that. You can follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. I, I can't really give you cooking tips or parenting tips. Not yet, you know, like Chris did. But keep it real with some sports takes and some pop culture references that you probably won't get. Or you might go over your head a little bit. But I, I think they're funny at least. And uh, that's going to do it. As I said, thanks for listening. I'm very gracious that you are listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, I am Mitch Michaels. Please keep watching and keep enjoying sports.